Hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Hewitt and welcome to the Conservative Voice Show, your place for honest, controversial, and the hottest in political conversations. So, what's up my fellow patriots and welcome back to the Conservative Voice Show. So, Today, and kind of like yesterday and into, well, more like yesterday and latter part of Monday, we have the Attorney General William Barr resigning. We have Senator Leader Mitch McConnell telling his caucus not to challenge the vote. A potential COVID relief bill may finally be upon us. And Biden is finally fronted with the turmoil in the House. All of that and today, all of that and more on today's show. I apologize, guys. I probably look like complete like booty just because it is 10 o'clock at night i worked all day and we're recording this so if it's a little botchy if it's a little rocky bear with me all right conservatives so what i want to know is how do you think that joe biden as he comes into the presidency if he's indeed elected at january on january 6th and it's confirmed and then inaugurated on the 20th how do you think he will handle the radicals inside the house let me know down below in the comments all right guys so late monday night early tuesday morning news broke about attorney general william barr's resignation president trump tweeted the resignation announcement late in the afternoon on monday along with a copy of barr's resignation letter which in this letter actually i will tell you Barr, for all the crap that the president has given him over the last few days last few weeks more more or less, over his handling of things like election fraud and voter regularities and things like that within the DOJ, Barr touts Trump's administration like time and time again. Like it's like a seven paragraph or so, like three or four paragraph or so, like little letter where each paragraph denotes key things that happen in Trump's administration that were very, very, very good for him. I'm not sure what caused Barr's departure, but I'm going to assume that it does have something to do with that election fraud and potentially the thing with Hunter Biden and the idea that Barr may have knew, known about Hunter Biden's investigation prior to the election. And so according to a report from Vandana, Vandana Rambaran over at Fox News, she reports... Secretary of State Mike Pompeo praised Attorney General William Barr and lauded his loyalty to President Trump just a day after Barr resigned from his post. Rumors circulated that Barr was planning on resigning before the end of the year, especially amidst criticism from Trump, who has accused him of not doing his job after the Justice Department said they had found no evidence of widespread voter fraud on the presidential election, as Trump continues to allege. And this is something that Trump, unfortunately, has done all too often. And I'll be like quite, like quite frank with all of you. Like it is one of his, one of his many flaws, right? Is when someone in his administration disagrees with him, instead of just allowing that disagreement to go on, and then to do their job and to do his job and things like that, Trump immediately being like the hammer that he is, finds him and just berates that person right, and begins to attack their work 
and their fealty and loyalty to him, right? Which is why people, especially those on the left, it looks like he is a battering ram and just berates people into doing what he wants. Now, is this true? I do not know. I've never worked for the man. I don't see what happens behind closed doors. Just as none of you do, just as none of the majority of the media does not, right? But what we can say is, it's, I think it's pretty safe to assume that if someone was to complain like that and make some kind of claim that Donald Trump is berating them or forcefully forcing them into like some form of submission or to doing something that, that they do not want to do, that that would definitely, 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 100%, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, be awarded a CNN exclusive interview, right? That in a way to try to make the president look bad. Because CNN, the New York Times, and the rest of the left-leaning media has continued to do that for the last four years of his presidency. Any place that they make the president look bad, they do. Any way they can make the Democrats and the radicals look good, they do that. That's just been the unfortunate result of our mainstream media, which is why a good portion of America do not care to listen to what they have to say. And CNN's ratings, hell, even Fox News ratings after the election have plummeted. All right, I think that there are two things here that the American people need to know and that every single one of you need to recognize. One, Barr did a great job while he was there, and truth, truth did prevail. He looked into the um, origins of the Steele dossier and the Russia, Russia collusion. He then made Durham, which we didn't know until recently, a special counsel to continue the investigation of the Russia collusion, like where it originated from. He advocated very, very firmly against the rioting and the looting that occurred across America. And even if Trump may not like the results, he did instruct every attorney general and investigators to investigate voter fraud to its extent, right? So it is very, very clear that Barr seems to be at face value a man of utmost integrity and has a knack for trying to find the truth. So that is the first thing that we need to know. Second is that this was more than likely a political move by Barr, right? To try to save himself from the embarrassment that if it comes out that he did indeed know about Hunter Biden and his involvement in Burisma, corruption, and all his tax documents, and tax investigations, and all of that like, like rat's nest of just no other way to say this, part of my fence, just the fuckery that is the Hunter Biden scandal. If he didn't know about that and he didn't tell the American people, we can see why Barr would want to recuse himself from that position any longer. Because that would be very, 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 very bad. You have the, the highest attorney or the, the leader of the attorneys, or however you want to say it, the Attorney General of America, knew about potential damaging, damning, damning evidence that would damage the Biden campaign and damage Joe Biden if released to the American people and somehow it did not get released, even though he knew it, right? Um, so I think that he would definitely, definitely look to bow out before the Electoral Congress count on January 6th. So I would, those two things. One, remember, Barr seemed to be, by all available evidence, a man of utmost character and integrity, so remember that he did do great things for the president and his administration, defending him through the Russia collusion, through all the attacks that he's just, that unfortunately President Trump has just had to 
like kind of just take over the last four years from the media. Barr was alongside the president that entire time. And two, that more than likely what we're seeing is a political move by Barr to try to save himself a little bit of embarrassment moving on if Joe Biden is elected and it does come to surface that he didn't know about Hunter Biden's investigation prior to the election. All right. So speaking of January 6th, Senate Leader Mitch McConnell has come under some fire today. Well, yesterday, because I'm recording this Tuesday night. So it came under fire Tuesday. In a report from Marianne Levine and Melanie Zanona, sorry if I mispronounced your name, reporting from Politico, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell warned Republican Senators Tuesday during a private caucus call not to object to the election results on January 6th, according to two sources familiar with the matter. McConnell told his caucus that challenging the election would force Republicans to take a, in quote, terrible vote because they would need to vote it down and appear against President Donald Trump. Senate Majority Whip John Thune, Senator from South Dakota, and Senator Roy Blunt, uh, Senator from Montana, also echoed McConnell's remarks. All right, so to kind of understand the reason for all of this, right, we kind of got to take like a trip down history lane. Like, we're going to rewind the decline, like, all the way back to, like, 1887. So, in 1887, there was this huge, huge contested election between Samuel Tilden and Rutherford B. Hayes. So, pretty much what happens is that the state, the state sent rival electorals to the Electoral College, at which point they came under, like, that those... Um, ballots were then challenged by Congress and then ensured a special 15-member session was convened where they debated and deliberated about the contested ballots. And this would dawn what we would know now, or this would be the origins of what we would know now as the Electoral Count Act of 1887. So pretty much what it came down to is that this act says that in order to contest elections inside the House, so January 6th they will convene, one member of the House and one member of the Senate from a single state or must contest the results in a single state. If that occurs, the joint session will disband and both the Senate will go to their respective chambers and the House will go to their respective chambers, which point both of the houses will debate and deliberate the contested results of that state, right? For no more than two hours, at which point they will vote and then the two houses will come back into that joint session and like pretty much reveal whatever their vote was. Now, it would take a approval of both houses of Congress. So the Senate saying yes, it needs to be thrown out, and the House saying that it needs to be thrown out for those electoral votes of that state to be thrown out of the count, right? And so that is what is being, that is what Mitch McConnell is talking about. Because there's been a lot of steam from House Republicans, and you see it all across. You look at, like, conservative media all across the nation. This is seen as a thing that may come. Like, kind of like the last-ditch effort to try to save, like, the presidency for Donald Trump. So that is what Mitch is talking about. That article from Politico goes on, say Senator Shelley Moore, Capito, said that no one objected on the call to McConnell's encouraging members to accept the election results. There wasn't any pushback to it, she said. There wasn't anyone saying, oh, hold up, wait a minute, that didn't occur. I'm sure she didn't actually say it directly like that. That's kind of editorializing. 
but that's how I said it in my head. So hold up, wait a minute, that didn't occur. All right, so what I was talking to you guys about is several House Republicans led by hardline conservatives, conservative Republican Mo Brooks from Alabama are still planning to challenge the election results on January 6th, the date Congress will officially certify them. Remember, even if um, Representative Brooks does that, it still takes a senator to challenge the exact same state as well. So it can't just be done in the House, and it can't just be done in the Senate. It has to be done in both. If a Republican senator joins the long-shot effort, however, it will force both chambers to take a vote on the election. But they have yet to get an official buy-in from any GOP senators. Though Senator Rand Paul hasn't ruled it out. Senator Rand Paul has been a key, key supporter of Donald Trump and been very boisterous in the election fraud agenda and what's been going on with Republicans in regards to the election fraud and, and voter irregularities and things like that. So I think that two things. One, you'll either get a yes from him or this article is going to go on to say is that they're also eyeing the Senator-elect Tommy Tuberville from um, another one out of Alabama. And then also the, um, I'm sorry, they're eyeing Tuberville from Alabama, who's a Trump supporter, along with Senator Rand Paul as two members that may possibly join in on the Senate side to contest the election, right? So I'm not too sure how I feel about it. I'm still, I've been a very, very like big advocate. And any of you that have been watching my show since the start has heard it. If there's widespread voter fraud, then it needs to be investigated. and needs to go to court and needs to be handled there. If there's not, then we need to move on. Republicans, we need to look to 2024, to that election, and ensure that we're doing everything we can for the American people from now until then. As a Republican Party, that is what we need to do. Now, a bit of me holds that in reservation, saying that these, like the Electoral Act of 1887 and all these safeguards the founding fathers put in, were put in for instances just like this. So I would say that if a senator or a representative believe that there is enough prima facie evidence to suggest that it has occurred, then they should contest it, send it to the House to deliberate it, where they can discuss it, discuss all the facts, and then come to a vote on whether or not it should be included or excluded. We that we trust our electoral, elected officials to do what is best for us and represent us, but also to do what's best for the American people. And so giving it to the houses to deliberate would probably be one of the best decisions as it is a law that was made for contested elections. So it'll be very, very interesting, I think, to see how that plays out on January 6th after the new Congress is um, sworn in on January 3rd and they go to certify the Electoral College votes. It is definitely going to be a day to tune into. If you guys didn't know, that'll start at 1 p.m. on the 6th, so make sure that you're there. I will more than likely be streaming it on my show's Facebook page, so make sure you're there and follow up for more information on that to follow. All right, guys. So along with that conference call coming from Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans and that caucus, there's a lot of news coming out of the chambers yesterday as well, right? I think that first and foremost, it looks like Congress is getting ever closer to striking a deal on a COVID relief and a government funding. 
I know at the time that I am recording this, at about 9.30ish or so, there has not been any re reveal yet, but the um, like lawmaker leaders, so you have Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, all of them, right, are in meetings right now as of 7.30 to try to discuss the what the COVID relief bill will look like. So in a report from CNBC today, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi set up talks with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy as Congress runs out of time to address both issues, speaking of both the COVID relief and the government funding to keep the government open. As Congress runs out of time to address both issues, Treasury Secretary Stephen Nugent, who spoke to Pelosi on the phone for more than an hour today, called into the huddle among the congressional leaders. The group took a break about 5 p.m. Eastern Time and is set to convene again about 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, according to a source familiar with the plans. Leaving Pelosi's office, McCarthy told reporters, I think there's progress. The discussion marked the most significant effort yet for the four leaders to come to a bipartisan agreement on a package that could get through a divided Congress. Absent congressional action, government funding will lapse Saturday at 12 million people will lose unemployment benefits the day after Christmas. I think that finally admits like all the calamity on Capitol Hill that lawmakers may finally realize that if they do not act, that the American people will suffer greatly. Like we all know that I'm, me as a conservative, I'm not a widespread fan of like welfare and unemployment and extended benefits like that. But in a time where jobs are coming and going and the people that are spending that brief time on unemployment trying to get back on their feet, that would be a very, very like, like terrible, terrible time to lose unemployment benefits. So I think that finally those governmental leaders are trying, starting to finally like realize that. Or Pelosi's just ready to play ball because she got her way. Remember that just last week, she's, when asked why she was willing to come down and meet that $1.4 trillion spending bill, right? She cited new president, which goes strictly to show that she takes party politics way more seriously than she does the American people. And let's take that second. Let's like, like right there. Let's just take a break right there and like use that as a talking point. The House has forgotten that they are the house of the people, right? Like that is their job. It is their job to represent the people. There's a reason why there's two houses, a Senate and a House of Representatives. Senate's to be removed, more aristocratic debate on things of, of national interest, while the House of Representatives are meant to represent the American people. Literally, their job is in their title. Representative, House of Representative, Representative insert name, right? And too often we see that they go rogue to meet a party agenda rather than doing what's best for the American people. I'm sorry, what's doing what their constituents want, right? Over party agenda. Because that is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be the representation of the people in Congress. Not the representation of their party's agenda. Not the representation of party politics not the representation of their own political agendas, not the representation of their own wallets. They are supposed to be the representation of the American people. And way too often, we see the House completely forget that. And that's not just at the federal level, that is across every single 50 states and every single House, right? 
Like that is just something that we see. People get wound up in politics and forget that they are meant to represent the people. All right. So that is the first thing that we have big happen in the House. Hopefully we do see a COVID relief bill coming soon. Lord knows the American people need it. And we see that the government um, funding bill goes through so that one, the government continue to be funded and those 12 million Americans can continue to have unemployment benefits because that's what America needs currently. All right, the second big thing here, wait, this is right here, this, I don't even know how to say anymore. Like I look at the news every day, read it every day. And every single day that I read it, yesterday was Seattle and the, the radicals wanting to just decriminalize freaking stealing and every other misdemeanor so that you can come over here and steal my bottle of water that I'm drinking right now that I paid for because you're poor. So that was the first thing, right? Well, today it's going to get just a little bit more and more crazy. So it, about three dozen House Democrats have signed on to a letter calling for Biden to end the death penalty. And what we're about to see, right, is this is going to be, I think, the very first test of Biden's resolve against that radical progressive left. Because remember, everyone is saying that Biden is going to be the bulwark of moderation inside the Democratic Party. Well, that's about to be tested. So according to a report from Fox News, more than three dozen members, I'm sorry, this is written by Sam Dorman with Fox News. More than three dozen members of Congress signed onto a letter Tuesday calling for President-elect Joe Biden to halt the federal government's use of the death penalty and show he's willing to dismantle its use altogether. With a stroke of a pen, you can stop all federal executions, prohibit United States attorneys from seeking the death penalty, dismantle death row at the federal co correctional complex, Terre Holt, and call for the resentencing res re of people who are currently sentenced to death, read the letter, which was spearheaded by Representative Ayanna Presley, Democrat of Massachusetts. Each of these elements are critical to help prevent greater harm and further loss of life. Okay, sure. Because we're just going to stop holding people accountable for their actions. Gotcha. Presley's fellow squad members, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Ilan Omar of Minnesota, and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. Okay, let's just stop right there. Anytime I hear those three names together, I automatically, like, gag it. Like, like I automatically just, like, kind of, like, vomit in my mouth. Like, any bill that those three, like, sign on to, we can just assume it's going to be total garbage. Just absolutely radical, progressive garbage. Right? The current administration has weaponized capital punishment with callous disregard for human life. The letter read, In the middle of our current public health crisis, the Department of Justice resumed federal executions and executed more, than peop more people in six months than in the total number executed over the previous six decades. Yes, because a global pandemic is the reason that the people should not be held accountable for their actions. A global pandemic is the reason why we should just suspend all federal executions along because of a global pandemic and not hold people accountable for their actions. Along the same lines, like I said, out of, out of Seattle, soon you will be able to commit whatever misdemeanors you want and just say that you're poor and then that you're going to sell it, right? When are we going to start holding people accountable for their actions, right? Or does members of the squad actually want pure anarchy? Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not about seeing just people being killed and mass killings for no reason. But to get the death penalty, 
takes you committing a very heinous and disgusting and reprehensible crime, right? Like, they're not handing out the death penalty for grand larceny. They're not handing out the death penalty for speeding. No, they're handing out the death penalty for when you kidnap, murder, burn, and dismember people's bodies, right? So I know the past few days on social media, we've just seen the outrage about the execution of Brandon Bernard, who assisted in the kidnapping and murdering of two innocent people. And so there's outrage over this execution. So I found an article that I thought was incredibly funny. And this is the headlines. Trump is spending the last days of his presidency on a literal killing spree. Uh, I didn't know that uh, Donald Trump was a serial killer or that he was currently playing COVID, I'm not sorry, playing Call of Duty about to get his care package because he's on a killing spree, right? So this report comes from The Guardian, uh, written by Austin Serrett. Donald Trump is on a killing spree. He is turning the anger and resentment, which burnishes his brand into a virtually unprecedented string of federal executions. Oh, yeah, really? Last week, Trump and Barr executed Brandon Bernard, even though his crime was committed when he was just 18 years old. Oh! So you mean he was an adult? So you mean he was an adult that assisted in the kidnapping and murder of two innocent people? Oh, gotcha. So because of that, he just should not be held accountable for his actions, right? Like, I do not understand this. I do not understand the headlines. Like, he's not going out just killing random people on the streets. We're talking about executions that have been sentenced for years. The president is just resuming federal executions, which have been deemed constitutional by multiple different Supreme Courts, right? Like, and they're over here, like I said, charging that the president is out here playing Call of Duty with real people's lives on killing sprees at mass, which is absolutely untrue. The article goes on, they are behaving like vigilantes or characters in Clint Eastwood's movie, Dirty Harry. Killing not because the executions will make the USA safer, saner, or more just society, but simply because they can. Wrong. Austin Sarah, you are 100% wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Like, if I could do like the Jim Carrey impersonation, instead of saying, hey, 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 no, you're wrong, wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong again, and you're absolutely 100% wrong. You're telling me that the capital punishment of widespread murderers who involved in multiple murders, kidnappings, rapists, sexual assaults, serial killers, all those heinous crimes do not make America a safer place. What would you rather us do? Release them? Does that make America safer? Or should we just continue to let them just live out their lives without any regard and without any justice? Like, when are we going to start, like, where, when is the outrage for the victims going to start, is my question. Since when did we become a society where we turn convicted murderers, rapists, serial killers, all those heinous criminals, into victims? Where is the outrage for those two girls who were murdered by them? Where is the outrage for people who were sexually assaulted? Where is the outrage for the people that are kidnapped? Where is the outrage for the people that were killed innocently, right, by the hands of other Americans? Where are those outrages? It, it just goes to show that the outrage only occurs two things. If it pushes a progressive agenda and two of Donald Trump's name is anywhere on it. That is the only time that outrage is warranted. 
if it pushes the racial divide in America, if it pushes progressive liberal policies, if it pushes that somehow Donald Trump is the worst thing to ever happen in American politics. If it is not one of those, then you will not see an outrage from the media. But I can guarantee you that if a cop was sentenced to death for some crime that he committed, you would not see the same outrage that you're seeing right here. It's absolutely ridiculous. 100% ridiculous. And like I said, I don't know what the squad wants. I do not understand a single port, portion of their liberal policies that they have, besides they want to dismantle every American institution and break America down from the inside out. But this right here is how you get anarchy. Decriminalizing illegal actions that have serious consequences on people. Resentencing and trying to not hold people accountable for their actions. Those simple breakdowns, you're going to start to see a breakdown in the American institutions. And that, I guess that is what they want. Who knows? But that is the problem that currently faces the House right now. I'm sorry, faces Joe Biden. Is that turmoil in the House? You have, obviously, the funding bill that they can't get passed. You have the moderates and the progressives inside the Democratic caucus that are at odds. And now you have the progressives calling that Biden should not just outlaw it or be against it, but they are declaring they want day one him to outlaw the via the executive order, by the way, not through legislation, because they know that that would never make it through the House and the Senate. So they just wanted to outlaw via executive order. And so that was going to be one of the first times that he's going to have to confront that progressive and radical base that he garnered in this election. All right, guys. So that is all for today's show. Like I said, let me know down in the comments if you actually believe if Biden's going to be able to hold back the radical left or not. Let me know down in the comments below. Also, guys, I will link uh, AG Barr's uh, resignation letter in the show description. So make sure that you check it out there, guys. This is your first time on the show. Thank you for joining me. And as always, guys, I appreciate you guys stopping by. Thank you for watching the Conservative Voice Show. I wish you all a very safe day, and God bless you and your family. Thanks.